What is this? Who are you? My name's Justin Case. I'm the attorney representing Mr. Cornelius. I wanted to ask you a few questions regarding your last interview with Mr. Cornelius. Do you mind if we continue, Mr. Satan? Please call me Satan. Mr. Satan's my father. You don't have a father? I don't. Is it true that in your last interview, you accused Pastor Bill of thinking about Mexican food before saying, quote, it's written all over your body, unquote? I think very carefully before you take this conversation any further. Or what? I don't think you want to find out. I'm not afraid of you, bucko. What exactly do you want to get out of this little meeting of ours? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! That's pretty good, Nicholson. I've been taking some acting class. Is it also true that you coerced Adam and Eve into eating the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? So what if I did? You know what you did, and you're gonna fry for it. This is why you got kicked out of heaven. I didn't get kicked out. I left. That's it. Lawyer punch. No. Thanks for joining us. I want to say a quick hello to all of our campuses. Thanks for being a part of our services. We are at capacity crowds at almost every campus right now. Thanks for showing up. Appreciate you being here. Great to have you guys here. If you're a little uncomfortable, by the way, we have plenty of room at the 1 o'clock and Saturday night. By the way, Saturday night is doubled in attendance. Thank you for many of you that moved to that service. And thank you for those of you who consider still doing that. We actually do have room. We could really use your seat. No offense, we're glad you're here. We want you to come to church. But if you can come to a Saturday night at 6 o'clock, I'm just pleased. That's a favor for me. Would you do that? As well as consider coming to the 1 o'clock, either one or Sunday nights. We're really grateful. The more at, at the size of the church, the more that we move people to uh, the other service hours other than 10, 11, 30, the more we grow. So actually, you help us reach people. And you really do. I know that sounds kind of funny, but you make room in the, in the parking lot, in the nurseries, and the children's, of course, the season. So thank you for that. Great problem to have, by the way. I wish all churches had this problem. Isn't it great to see all these great people in the house of God? Let's just honor the Lord today. It's great to be here. Glad you guys are here with us today. So pull out your notes if you would. Let's say our mission statement together. What are we here to do as a church? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. So we're all about here at Church Unlimited. Again, thanks for coming. Today I want to dive right in. I've got a lot of content to cover today. And uh, Noah's going to answer a big question that we have also about mass shootings later on in the message as well. But also I want to talk today about how the devil speaks to us. Today's message is called Speak of the Devil because he has certain things that he likes to say to you to tempt you with, okay? And when you are tempted, that is the devil demons speaking to you. They're trying to tempt you, trying to throw things out at you. The very first words we see of the devil were the serpent, who was in the form of a serpent, in the Garden of Eden, and he was speaking to Adam and Eve. And so if a snake walks up to you talking, don't listen. That's the message. So anyways, but uh, no, the devil is sly and does want to say things to you, and so he wants to tempt you. So we're going to talk about those temptations today and how to overcome those temptations. Matthew 4, verse 3 and 6, I want to pull this out. We're going to kind of go through a set of scripture, but I want to pull a couple things out real quick and just talk about it. The first thing you need to know is this. Number one, the devil will question your identity. The devil will question your identity. He will get you to question your identity. That's why he said often in the scripture, he said, if you are the son of God, well, he knew Jesus was the son of God. I mean, it wasn't long ago that he was talking with Jesus directly when he was not a fallen angel, but he was, he was still on the up and up with God in heaven with Jesus right by the Father's side. So he knows Jesus is Jesus, but he's still just trying to question him, constantly question him. And one of the ways that the enemy will attack you is to get you to, to, to constantly question everything you do, everything you say constantly. That's how you know someone's trying to take you down is that they constantly are questioning you, right? 
And so the devil wants you to get you to question yourself. In fact, the, the, the inner critic inside of you, it's always saying, I'm fat, I'm ugly, I'm old, I'm no good looking, I'm, I'm not a good dad or a good mom, I'm, I'm, not, you know, I'm not very smart, I'm just bad with money, whatever. Whatever the negative is that you're, that you're playing in your head, who do you think whispered those in your ear years ago? And got you just to play that again and again and again. And every once in a while, if you get off, he'll remind you to try to keep you on that script. And so you need to know that you, this is why the Bible says take, take uh, thoughts captive. Say, okay, whoa, whoa, that's not for me. It's kind of like the radio. When you listen to it, the last song on the radio before you get out of the car is what you play in your head all day. The devil wants to get a song going in your head. So you just play it to yourself again and again and again and again. So make sure you silence that inner critic. Instead, replace it with truth, which says that I am all things. I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you future and hope. In other words, God's equipped me. God's given me talents. God's given me abilities. God's given me a destiny. I am made the image of God. Therefore, I have greatness all about me and who I am. Believe that instead of the lies the devil's trying to tell you. Make sense? So replace that. Okay. So let's jump into the actual uh, text of Scripture where we see the three biggest temptations the devil uh, tries on all of us. And so here they are. Matthew 4 verse 1 says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Now before we go any further, it says Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I find it interesting that the Spirit of God would lead Jesus into a place of hunger uh, where it's hot and where there's no water. So he led Jesus to a dry place. And the reason I want to mention this is because maybe today you're in a dry spell in your life. Maybe things have dried up emotionally. You're just worn out. Maybe you're tired physically. Maybe you feel distant from God. You feel like, I don't feel God's presence in my life. This is your opportunity to realize that if Jesus, led, if Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, into a dry place, then maybe we need to recognize that God is still with us. In fact, your best worship is when you don't feel like it. Your most committed worship is when you say, God, I'm feeling bad, I'm tired, I'm worn out, and I feel distance from you, but you know what? I will lift my hands anyways, and I will worship you by choice, not by feelings. I choose to be a worshiper today, even if I don't feel good. So we have to make a choice. God is with you even in the dry seasons. Then the, the Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. For 40 days and nights, he fasted and became very hungry. So 40 days, no Mexican food. Wow, that's hard. Okay. <laughs> During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, again, you see that if you are the Son of God, even though he knew he was, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scripture says people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we think immediately the temptation, oh, this is easy. I, I know the temptation. The temptation is what I see with my eyes, right? Because Jesus is hungry, so the devil must have caused some kind of a little mirage, like with all this food, you can have this food, right? Or he's like basically, hey, make yourself some bread. You can eat. Come on. You don't have to be starving. This is ridiculous. Have some food. So he was tempting him with, with, with his own desires, right? The devil doesn't tempt you with what you don't desire. The devil tempts you with what you do desire. Make sense? And so that's how the devil tempts us. And so here we see in the scripture that we think immediately, well, clearly the devil's temptations are, you know, for like the average man, it's going to be, you know, the girl with the short miniskirt at work, or it's going to be, you know, uh, some, you know, cute girl at the mall or, or something like that. Or maybe your temptation, ladies, is that, that attractive guy with a tight butt. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> the temptations are real, right? Maybe it's something like that. Maybe the temptation is greed for you. Maybe it's just, you know, maybe it's uh, just general selfishness. I don't know what it is, but, but all of us have temptations. But the, the easy, cheap thing to think about the scriptures is to think, oh, clearly, it's just what I can see. I'm tempted by what I want. That's actually not what this is saying. Jesus says, devil, I'm not dumb. This isn't about the bread. 
I'm only going to follow my father's word, not your word. So the temptation was different than we think. So what does that mean? This is what it means. It means that the greatest temptation you and I face are not temptations. The greatest temptation that we face when it comes to this is actually, number two, the devil will tempt you to act independently of God. See, this is what, most of, the devil's not going to say to you, you know, here in church, hey, you should cheat on your spouse. No one's going to go, yeah, that sounds great. I mean, we know that that will ruin my entire family. I, I, that, that's not a good idea. You know, anyone would think that. So how does the devil get someone to actually do something that they don't even want to do? How does he do that? Oh, it's easy. He convinces you to wake up every morning and not pray. He convinces you to, to not come to church anymore, to not hear God's truth by reading his word. And so he convinces you to unplug from the Father. And if you're unplugged long enough, I don't care how sharp you are, you're going to wear down. You can have the iPhone 10 with all the gadgets. It can be super amazing technology. But if you leave that thing, un thing unplugged long enough from the wall, guess what's going to happen? It's going to die out. I don't care how good the technology is. You may be a strong person, but if you never plug into the Father, if you never connect to church, if you never connect to truth in the Word, eventually you're just going to wear down. And then you're easy picking. The devil can pick you off easy. Why? No strength. You're worn down. You're tired all the time. You're exhausted emotionally. You never get to lean, you never lean on God and unload those things to the Father, like the Bible says to do. Cast all your cares upon Him because He cares for you. If you never do that, you're so worn down. You're so tired that now any, any little hit can just take you out because you're not plugged into the Father. So the greatest temptation here is not temptation. The devil's like, hey, wake up this morning. Oh, you're too busy to pray. Close that Bible. Just get to work. You got stuff going on, right? Oh, I know you want to come to church, but you know why, man? We got to get ready for the game. There's always something, right? It's the lake. It's the beach. There's always something to do. Just, just whatever you do, don't go to church, right? Don't get plugged in. Don't, don't, don't activate your faith in prayer. Don't, don't open the word of God. Don't do that. Because if you begin to do that, you'll fill up. And the devil knows it's a lot easier for me to fight. I, the devil can take on the biggest dude ever as long as that guy's tired and weak and worn out. So you need to know that the devil's greatest strategy for you really is just to get you to act independent of the Father. He wants to get you disconnected because he knows he can take you out easily at that point. Look what happens next. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. So this is all good, right? I mean, it's the holy city, awesome. It's the temple, awesome. It's the highest point of the temple, okay. This is all good. Where's the negativity here? This is all great. But then look, he said, if you're the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. So he say, Jesus, here's what we should do, man. You're in Jerusalem. This is like the Mecca of Judaism. And so, and all the Jewish people know because of Isaiah 700 years ago, writing about how there's going to be a great Messiah, and he's going to have an amazing kingdom, and he's going to make the people of Israel prominent again. So People in Israel, in their mindset, they thought this must mean this is going to be a great political leader, a great spiritual, a great religious leader. So go to the top of the temple. It would be awesome. Jesus, get in the very edge and go, I am God, and just jump right off, and then the angels will catch you. You'll look amazing. So what's the temptation here? The temptation may surprise you. Here it is. And there's a whole generation falling into this temptation. We have a whole generation doing this. Number three, the devil tempts you to make yourself look good. Never mind actually being the real deal, just make sure you look good. And so, uh, let me ask you something. Are you, 
are, are you in the scripture because you want to know what God has to say to you and you want the scripture to transform your life? Or are you trying to find that really cool verse that you can post on Instagram so you can look spiritual to all your friends? Why are we digging for the scripture? Are we looking for ourselves or so we can look spiritual? Oh, I need to post something, right? Did you say pray for Paris? Pray for Nice because you're really praying for Paris and Nice or because that's really trending and that'll get me a lot of followers. Why are we doing stuff? Are we trying to really honor God with our lives, be the real deal, or do we, do we just want to look good to people? We're so concerned about how we look. And now we combine all the other. We want to look good physically. So we think, I don't actually want to eat good. I'll just take a pill that'll just feed my heart and just make me lose weight that way. Instead of actually just being healthy, I want to look healthy. Instead of your marriage actually being good, we put on the front. We're arguing the whole time in the car. Although to church, you get out of the car, you close the door, and all of a sudden you go, I'm just so much. Praise the Lord. <laughs> right? Because you want to look spiritual. You want to look like we got it all together, right? You get mad at your kids because they act up at the restaurant. But did you get mad at them for the same exact thing they've been doing all day long in your home? Or are you really mad at them because now they just expose that you're really not parenting all along anyways? And so the truth is you're mad because you're embarrassed because now you don't look like a good parent. Are we trying to do the, the real deal? Or are we trying to look like we're doing the real deal? We're so concerned about how we look, right? And so now we combine it all together. And now ladies are quoting the scripture as they take the selfie with the scripture over. But they make sure that with the verse they also show just a little bit of cleavage. Just a little this is unbelievable. We want to look spiritual and sexy at the same time. That's an interesting combination. <laughs> and we take 350 pictures to get that perfect casual shot. There's nothing casual about that. You took 300 pictures. Oh, a little higher, some of that looks skinnier. Perfect. <laughs> Praise Jesus. <laughs> what is that? We want to look good rather than be good. We're more concerned about whether we look strong and are we really strong in the Lord. In other words, the bottom line is, is that we want to keep up appearances rather than actually be the real deal. I want to challenge you to not fall for the temptation to be so concerned about what other people think about you that you miss the question, what does God think about you? That's what matters the most. And so don't get caught up in just trying to look good. Why don't you actually do good? Don't get caught up in trying to appear good, actually be the real deal. So I want to challenge you with that. Now, here's another one. So the devil tempts you to make yourself look good. Here's the third one, and this is a big one. The devil tempts you to take a shortcut. The devil tempts you to take a shortcut. Look at this. Matthew 4, verse 8. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said, I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. I love how the angels came and tended to him right after the temptation. We keep saying, oh God, bring strength to me so I can overcome my temptation. And God says, no, you overcome your temptation and I'll make you strong. So you don't get the order wrong. You obey, then you get the power of God. You don't get the power of God to obey. You obey, then you get the power of God. You say, well, I don't have enough strength to overcome this temptation. Well, not for the rest of your life, but you, you got enough strength to overcome this temptation right now. And then as soon as you do, the angels show up. Then the power comes. Does that make sense? Quit thinking too long term. I just can't overcome all this temptation. Just overcome it today. Just today is all you got to do. You know, we, we, we think way too far in advance, you know. All the single guys in the room, I just cannot wait to have sex with marriage. It's so hard. How about you wait today? Don't, don't worry about the next five years. There's too much to figure that out. Just say, God, help me to be a godly, pure young man today. 
And God will give you strength for today. God always gives you strength for today, and then tomorrow is going to give you strength for tomorrow. Make sense? And so quit, quit overshooting this. I don't have the power to overcome this. I just can't overcome You just need just make the right choice right now. And if you do that, then God brings you his power. But here, here's where, where he tempted Jesus. He said, Jesus, I'll give you all authority over the whole world. So here's the greatest way, one of the greatest ways the devil tempts you, the way he speaks to you, is he offers you what you want. But the way he offers it is always a shortcut. Jesus was going to have all authority in heaven and on earth as soon as he died on the, as soon as he would die on the cross for us. That would give him all authority over heaven and earth, and even hell, by the way. It would help him conquer death, right? So he's going to have that. And the devil comes along and says, you don't need to die on a cross. I'll just give you all that power now. He said, don't bother with it. I mean, Jesus, do you really want to go be beaten and talk bad about and, you know, falsely accused and to go hung on the cross? So let's skip all that. I'll just give you all the power. Well, he would have all the power over the earth if he made a deal with the devil, but he wouldn't have had all the power over heaven, earth, and even death itself, right? So here's what the devil does. The devil's smart. He doesn't tempt you with what you don't want. He tempts you with what you do want. And he gives you a false version of what, he, of what God has for you. So the devil figures out what does God have for you, and then he wants to tempt you with something else. He says, oh, I want this godly relationship. But you're having a hard time finding that person, so you just think, the devil says, take this person that's not godly, make them godly, force them into your will. How's that working? See, it's a shortcut, doesn't work. You know, I mean, rather than actually studying for the exam and actually going through and getting your engineering degree, it's just too hard. I'll just go online, find someone who's already taken the test, buy their answers, and then I'll just pass it that way. I'll just cheat, and then I'll have my paper. I'll have, I can make the big bucks as an engineer. Here's the problem. When you get in your engineering job, you don't know what the heck to do because you never got the knowledge. You took a shortcut. Now you're spending the next 50 years trying to make up for what you didn't do in, in four years. Shortcut doesn't pay off. It never works out like that. Years ago, uh, sometimes shortcuts aren't always bad. Uh, I mean, Sorry, they, they don't always appear bad. So, so years ago, I, I was uh, pastoring this church, and we were probably six, seven years old as a church, and we needed to raise money to, uh, to build the building that I preach from every week now, the, the broadcast campus. And so we're a very young church at the time. I'm in my 30s. Everyone in our church kind of mimicked my age just about. So it was very young, which means everyone was also young in their careers. And so there wasn't a lot of high earners in our church at that point. Now, we still don't have a whole lot of that. But, but we had virtually none of that back then. And, and so it was like, how are we going to raise millions of dollars for a facility with the average income of our church being pretty low because we're just young, you know, as a, as a church? And so I was like, Lord, I, I'm really scared. I'm intimidated by this. I don't know if this is going to happen. But I knew God was leading us to build this building. So we, we designed this whole giving campaign, and we we're going to have all these dinners and you know, have people come out, that kind of thing. So I'm at this event center, and I'm in my car a few minutes before. I'm about to go in and kind of get everything ready. And we're, we're about to have our very first fundraiser. I mean, it's right before, so the pressure is on big time. I'm like, Lord, I don't know if I've got the stuff as a leader to do this. I've never really done this or raised this kind of money before. I don't know if this is even possible, Lord. I'm just, I'm nervous. I'm scared. And so I was pretty nervous. And then my phone rings. I didn't recognize the number. So normally I would just let it go to the voicemail. But for some reason, I answered it. I was like, this is Bill. Is this Bill Cornelius? Yep. This is so-and-so. I was like, and I, I knew who he was because he was kind of a famous preacher. So I was like, oh, wow, I know who that is. And he worked for an even more famous preacher, probably the, the most famous preacher at the time, just about. They call, and he calls and says, hey, I got your name from so-and-so. And I was like, okay. And he goes, and I hear you're doing a great job in your church. It's like, oh, thank you. This is cool. This is like a, in my world, most people don't care about this, but in my world, it's like a famous church. So this guy calls and says, hey, 
my pastor is, we're about to build a new building. We're about to build a 7,000 seat auditorium. I should tell you how big this church is. We're about to build a 7,000 seat auditorium, which they now fill four or five times, by the way. So just imagine that, right? So he said, uh, uh, but we're moving out of our 4,000 seat auditorium, and we'd like to hire you to come be our young adults pastor and fill up that auditorium with young people and preach every week. What did I just get offered? You can just leave this church and don't have to raise any of the money, none of the hassle of building something, none of the criticisms that you get for being a fundraiser. I can skip all that and just go to this other church. It's a very well-known church. There will be publishing deals waiting for me when I got there. It's a very well-known pastor I'll be working for. Be, I mean, it, it all looks good. The only problem is it's not God's will for my life. It sounds really cool. It's a great church. Where, I mean, when he called, I felt like this is amazing. I felt like I won a Grammy. I wanted to get up and go, I'd like to thank my publicist. I mean, this is so cool <laughs> that you even called and offered me the job. It's a huge honor, right? But I knew this isn't God's will. I go home. I said, honey, you're not going to believe who called. Uh, well, uh, actually, uh, late, late that night, I said, I got to tell you something afterwards. And after we did the fundraiser, and I told her, I said, you're not going to believe. She said, what'd you say? I said, I turned him down on the spot. She goes, I knew you would. I know this is our calling. And so then, oh no, it gets better. So then a week goes by, one week, maybe 10 days. We're in the middle of the fundraising event, still going on. This is like a several month process doing this. I get a call now at my house. Another very famous preacher, church, big church. This one's in LA, beautiful Southern California, Orange County. They call and they say, hey, we'd like to hire you to be our young adults. I'm like, what is going on with this? And we're going to let you be the only other guy preaching other than our pastor on the weekends and fill up an auditorium, this and that, and you beautiful sunny California, this and all that. And so I, I turned to my wife after I got the phone. I was like, you're not going to believe you just called. She goes, you are kidding me. And I told her, and, but I knew this pastor personally really well. He's a good guy. I was like, oh, man, wow. And she said, I already know what you said. That. I said, yeah, I said no. But here's the thing. Why, after years of no phone calls, so I get these calls right when we're trying to go through the hardest thing as a church? Because the devil's tempting me with something very good to take a shortcut. You don't have to raise money. You don't do anything hard. You just walk into it. It's easy. Right? And so I realized, that isn't God. That's the devil tempting me. Now, I'm not trying to say the devil <laughs> was in those churches. I don't mean it that way. <laughs> but it was a very good thing. But it was a test, I believe, also. And I was like, okay, Lord, this isn't your will, and I know that. That guy, the first guy who hired me, he was already released from that church. He's not even there anymore. That church had a total turnover. And their staff. I would have been through that meat grinder and out. And you know what? I would have missed all that God had for me here. Don't take a shortcut. If you, if you will put in the work yourself, don't take the shortcut. You'll get the results you really want. Don't let the devil tempt you with something that you really want, but it's not the way you're supposed to get it. So you got to get it the right way. God has a purpose for you. Don't take the shortcut. Don't skip uh, you know, the, the classes to grow spiritually. Don't skip serving if you want to grow in your faith. Don't skip tithing and say, God, just bless me financially. It doesn't work like that. It's a shortcut. It doesn't do that. Why? Because if you don't learn to tithe and learn to budget, then why in the world would God give you more money to be disobedient with? You're trying to take a shortcut. Oh, God, just bless me. I, didn't, I, don't, want, I don't want to actually obey you, but just bless me. It doesn't work like that. Don't take a shortcut. Don't take a shortcut and skip, skip out like we're doing, a, you know, uh, we're doing the next step dinners at all of our campuses this week. You know? What is that? It's help you get involved in the church. Some of you guys are thinking, I'll just become really spiritual by just showing up one hour and leaving. It doesn't work like that. Your faith grows when you get involved. Quit trying to take the shortcut. Just get involved. Just step in and just get involved. God has so much more for you if you'll just get involved. Now, here's the thing. None of these three ways 
got to Jesus, right? So the devil tempted him, and Jesus turned him down all three times, right? So how did the devil get to Jesus? Did he, actually? And the answer is yes. He, he actually then employed his most powerful weapon against us. I'm about to cover that right now. You guys interested? Now, this, what I'm about to tell you also answers the question, why do mass shootings happen? Same answer. So I'm about to get to that in just a second, for those of you who are curious. Like, why in the world will some guy who has a seemingly normal life, doesn't show any anger, put this whole plan together to go kill a bunch of people at a concert in Vegas? Why would you do that? Why in the world would a young man walk into a church of all places and shoot it up? Why would a kid walk into a high school or an elementary school and just turn it into a slaughterhouse? What would make a human do that? I'm about to answer that. Before I do that, next week, join us again as we continue this series. Next week, I'm going to answer the question, what does 666 mean? We're also going to explain the things. You know, a lot of people have a lot of questions about what's to do with fortune tellers, tarot cards, Ouija boards, you know, scary movies, have satanic stuff in it. We're going to talk about all that next week. So don't miss next week's message. And next week, we're going to talk about how Jesus confronted someone who had a demon in him. And I will share the story about how I confronted someone who had a demon in them as well. I know we won't talk about this stuff because it kind of freaks some people out. But we're going to share that. Don't miss next week's message. I have a feeling we're going to have pretty good attendance because it's a pretty crazy, provocative story. So be sure to be here as we talk about that. But here's the most dangerous weapon the devil has. And you know why he's so good with this weapon? Because it fits his character perfectly. Let me show you this. Matthew 26. Now, Jesus tried to tempt him directly, couldn't get to him. So how does Jesus get to the person who's faithful to God? He always gets to you through someone else's anger close to you. That's how he gets you. What would cause someone to shoot up a school? That's real simple. Anger. Unchecked anger that grows and grows, and is fed, and grows, and is fed, and grows, and no one ever checks them on it. That's the only thing that would cause you to have so much hate that you'd be willing to take life for it. It's the only thing that would cause it. Check out the scripture. Matthew 26, verse 14 says, Then Judas Iscariot, Iscariot means men of Carioth, it also means man with a dagger. You know why it talks about a dagger? Oh, this is where we get the name Sicario, by the way. Maybe you've seen the movie? He had to be up close. He had to be close to the enemy, right, to, to, to be, befriend him so that he could make him his enemy. And so Judas Iscariot is one who carried the dagger because it, it takes a dagger. The only way you can get to someone with a dagger is if you're really close to them. And to be that close, they have to trust you. Now, listen very carefully. I'm about to tell you next. There is always a Judas at your table. Always. Be aware of it because they'll dagger you and you trusted them. See, the only reason someone can get to you that close is because you trusted them. And those are always the deepest wounds, aren't they? That's who daggers you. It says that Jen Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priest and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. You know how much 30 pieces of silver cost? But you know what that was back in the day? That's how much it cost for the price of a slave. He sold out and he became a slave to the religion uh, that was destroying people, by the way. He became a slave to the law. And so in the same way, when you walk away from Jesus, you become a slave to the law. You're going to be a slave to Jesus or a slave to the world. Jesus is a much easier master. And so all of us are. Here's in verse 16. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. You ever known someone that had so much hate they were just looking for an opportunity? Right? You watch the media lately? They're just looking for an opportunity to take someone out. 
You can pick which side you like. They're just looking for an opportunity. Just, just please slip up so we can come at you, right? And so that's how much anger they have. And so here's the point. The devil's most damaging weapon against you is anger. And he wants to get someone mad at you that's close to you so they can hurt you and betray you. How many of you guys feel like you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, we've all been there. It's always someone close that betrays us the most. Let me show you what this looks like. John chapter 12, verse 3. Then Mary, this is not Mary, the mother of our Lord, but this is Mary, a follower. Mary uh, took an expensive perfume, poured it on Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. When it speaks of that, the, 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 fer- the perfume definitely filled up the house with a beautiful smell. But also in the Old Testament, it talks about our prayers and our praise to God is like a fragrance. So this is actually saying the house is also filled with worship. Really cool. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold in the money given to the poor? It was, a year's, it was worth a year's of wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for this day of, of my burial. Uh, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. That's one of the most controversial statements of Jesus, by the way. He says, you always have poor people, but you won't always have me. He's saying that the purpose of the church isn't actually just to give to the poor. We do that, by the way. We help the poor all the time. But the primary purpose of the church is to worship God. Does that make sense? But what's the first thing you'll hear a critic? Maybe you have a friend or family member who's actually criticized this church. And they say what? They say, look at that big old building. They should just give all the money to the poor. Right? I hear people say that. A billboard? You could have given that money to the poor. But we advertised and that brought a lot of people, which brought the income so we can give to the poor. Make sense? We do give to the poor, by the way. And so I, I want to encourage you to, and by the way, the same person who's mouthing off on what the church does, does or doesn't do with their money, the reason, the reason they say all that, they haven't given any. When someone says, I want to meet with you and talk about how you spend money, I don't agree with you. I'll say, no problem. But the first thing we're going to talk about is what you've given this year. Oh, there won't be much to talk about. Because the people who are complaining aren't giving. People who are giving are trusting. Now, I'm not trying to say blind trust. I think we should always check and make sure that we're being good stewards. And I have no problem with you questioning anything about our finances. But this is a ministry of integrity. It has been for 20 years and is going to continue to be. And I will just tell you this. Please do not bring your distrust from some previous minister that fell to us. We didn't do that. So please don't accuse us of something that someone else did. That's not us. Does that make sense? So Judas begins to question, Mary, why would you spend all this money on, on Jesus? Wow, that's not a bad thing. He is Jesus. So we want to be lavish in our worship for him, right? So what was he really saying? He was really bothered by the fact that Mary's worship was acceptable to Jesus and, and, and Judas' worship wasn't because he didn't worship him. Let me take this all the way back to Genesis 3. Check it out. In verse 15, this is uh, when uh, the devil tempts Adam and Eve. They sin, and then God says to the devil this. He says, I will put enmity, that means anger or war, between Satan and the woman, and you, and between your offspring and her offspring. Now, Satan's offspring was that he whispers lies in our ears to get us to do things, and his, he conceives sin, right? Adam and Eve had an offspring. They had Cain and Abel, right? Abel worshiped the Lord, brought him a gift. The Lord accepted his gift. Cain brought him a gift that was unacceptable because he didn't really sacrifice for it. And he said, Cain, this is an unacceptable gift. Abel's gift was, was acceptable. Yours isn't. This angered Cain. What did Cain do in his anger? Killed Abel. Right? He thought, rather than me straightening up my life, I'll just take out the person who's making me look bad. So he kills Abel. 
And so it goes on to say this in, in Psalms 41.9, even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. To lift your heel against someone is to kick them when they're down. Right? I mean, they're already down. If you're using your heel, you're coming down on someone, right? You have anger issues? No, I'm not mad at anybody. You sure? Because you seem kind of happy when your ex didn't do so well and didn't miss the promotion. You seem a little happy when your ex married someone fatter and older than you, right? (laughs) You seem kind of happy when someone didn't get what they wanted at work. You seem sort of happy at someone else's downfall. That's anger. How in the world can you explain celebrating someone's problem? Celebrating that someone's down. Unless you had so much anger that just kind of feels good to give it to them, to stick it to them. Right? So many of us do have an anger issue. It's the most effective thing the devil puts in our, our minds is is anger, he gets us to be offended by someone. We live in a culture today that wakes up offended. I mean, it seems like everyone's offended at something all the time now. It's crazy. And so I want to encourage you to let go of that. John 3, uh, 1 John 3 says this, anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. You murked them. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. This doesn't mean that if you committed a murder, you can't be forgiven of sin, by the way. This, is not, this verse is not salvific in nature. This is not for your salvation. It's saying that murder is not of God. But you can, if you, even if you murder someone, ask God to forgive you, and he will. And by the way, I, I've been, I've, I've hugged an ex of probably 30 to 40 murderers before uh, in our prison ministry. And I asked them, I was like, what are you in for, man? And they're like, oh, I killed somebody. I was like, oh, wow, there it is. Put it out there. Hug their neck. And I want to tell you right now that our prison ministry, you say, oh, I can't, you're not going to show us the prison ministry. This is exactly what I'm going to show the prison ministry. Because I want to tell you something about those guys. And guys, I love you guys. I want to tell you, Jesus forgave you, and you have been made new as anyone else. And he'll forgive you of all your sins. He really will. And the truth is, I will tell you this. I've been to those prison ministries. I've hugged those guys next. And I will tell you this. Honestly, many of them are more free than you and I. Because we're bound in our sin. Many of those guys are free from theirs. So I want to encourage you just to know that you can even be forgiven for that. Repentance in Jesus fixes everything. (laughs) Thank God. What does this mean for you and me? Number six, Judas was angry about Jesus accepting Mary's sacrifice. Just like Cain was angry about God accepting Abel's sacrifice. Cain and Judas' anger both led to betrayal and murder. And unchecked anger leads to taking life. Unchecked anger, anger that can grow that big. I mean, anger got so big with, you know, a young man named Adolf Hitler that he decided to kill a whole race. That's amazing that anger can be that, that big. Anger leads to racism, where I just hate the whole race. Right? Anger leads to sexism. I just hate the whole gender. Pick the one of your choice. Anger can lead to all kinds of things. In fact, let me just say, anger can destroy your body. Did you know you can get sick from anger? You can. But I know me right now are thinking, yeah, Pastor, that's great, but I'm not going to murder someone. Just because I'm mad at someone that hurt me doesn't mean I'm going to murder him. Are you sure about that? Because everyone who's ever murdered someone didn't think they'd do it. You hear that every time. They're like, I never thought this would happen. I didn't intend for this to go this way. We got in a fight, and then it just, one thing led to another, and right, your anger took you over, right? Look at scripture on this. It says in Ephesians 4, 27, for when you are angry, you give a mighty, that means strong, foothold to the devil. It's the most powerful thing that can happen to us is getting angry. Revelation 12, 7 says, for the devil has come 
down to you in great wrath, in anger, basically, because he knows his time is short. See, the, the devil's really good at teaching you to be angry because he's angry. He's so mad that you still have a choice, and he doesn't have a choice anymore. He's so mad about that, he wants you to get angry. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Some of you are like, okay, pastor, there's no way you're going to ask you to forgive this person. You have no idea what they've done. I am going to ask you to do that because the Bible says to do that. But this is important. If I have a gun and I point the gun at someone and I shoot them and I murder them, how many lives were just lost? Not just one. Right? Is my life ever going to be the same? No. Even if I'm not caught, I'm on the run. So my life is over, basically. So I took one life. I took my life too by doing that. In fact, some of you have friends and relatives that have been murdered. I bet it affected you too, didn't it? Greatly. And so it didn't just take two lives. It took out a whole lot of lives. That's why the devil loves murder so much. Because he knows anger, full-blown, leads to murder. Now, again, you're like, Pastor, I'm not going to murder anybody. I'd never do that. I'd never take someone's life. That's crazy. Just because I'm a little mad at someone doesn't mean I want to take someone's life. And I'm here to argue something today that you may not have murdered someone, but if you harbor anger and resentment towards someone, the life that's being taken is yours. It's costing you your life. It's already costing your, listen, if you're still angry at your ex and you harbor that anger, it's going to cost you your current relationship. If you're so angry about your last job, then you'll be off interview after interview after interview talking about how horrible they were at your last job, and you'll wonder why they never hire you. It's costing your future career. You're still mad at what your kids did last week? It's going to cost you what you can have in a relationship with them this week. In other words, if you harbor anger, it takes you out of the game. God can't use someone who's angry. You've got to let go of the anger because it's hurting you. And if you'll take the key, and the key is Jesus and his forgiveness, by the way. That's the key. And if you'll take that key and you unlock the pad, you, you take off the padlock, unlock it, and you swing open the prison, you've kept that person in your mind. You know who walks out? You do. You were the one that was imprisoned, not them. But pastor, this isn't right. They don't deserve it. You don't know what they did to me. There's no way. I was a victim from them, from their molestation, from their rape, from the betrayal, from that divorce. For they cheated on me. They, they broke my heart. They hurt me. They don't deserve it. So you think forgiveness is given if you deserve it? I'm trying to think if there's a place in, in the Bible where there's maybe a story where someone forgave us and we didn't deserve it. I'm trying to think if there's anything like that in the Bible. Anything like that. I think, oh yeah, it's the central story. It's the whole point. And so for us to not forgive someone is to deny the fact that we've been forgiven when we didn't deserve it. We still don't deserve it. Well, pastor, what about the person who keeps hurting me? I can forgive them today. They'll hurt me tomorrow. You know what? That's real. You don't think you're going to sin tomorrow and Jesus can't forgive you again? Forgiveness is a choice. Please do not confuse forgiveness with trust. Don't confuse us. Just because someone raped you and you forgave them doesn't mean you should go out with them. Okay? Don't confuse forgiveness and trust. Just because I forgave someone doesn't mean they get access to my life again. Does that make sense? Don't confuse those two. But understand this, when you forgive, you're exemplifying the power of Jesus in your life more than anything else you do, more than anything else you can do. 
the power of God that's displayed the greatest through you when you forgive. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed right now. Make this choice today. Make it a choice, not an emotion. It's a choice to say, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't feel like I even have the power to do this, but I'm calling on your power, Jesus, right now to help me forgive this person. If someone came to your mind, did that mean you're angry about them? Just when I brought it up, someone already came to your mind. I didn't put a name in your head. I didn't put a picture in your head. That's the Holy Spirit doing that. So the Holy Spirit's convicting you and you say, Lord, forgive me. I, I let them go. I'm going to drop it. I'm going to drop the offense. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Sometimes you drop the lawsuit because it's not worth it. It's sucking up your life. Sometimes you just let it go. But it's not right. Yeah, well, it isn't right. We live in an unfair world. But it's also hurting you more than it's hurting them to stay in this pain. Forgive them. Let it go. Just let it go. Just say, God, I, just, I forgive them now. As hard as this is, I let it go. With your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe God's using you to hurt someone. Excuse me, maybe the devil is using you to hurt someone. Maybe he's whispering in your ear to be so offended that you lash out at someone. You say, I would never shoot someone. But you snipe them at the table when you talk bad about them. You snipe them with little comments. You know, you don't like your coworkers, so you snipe them to, to your boss. Which means you know they're not going to get that promotion because of what you said. Because of what you did. And you snipe them. Are we sniping people? The power of life and death is in the tongue. According to Proverbs chapter 18. Are you sniping people? Is your anger murdering someone's reputation? You gotta let it go. God, forgive me for being so angry. You forgave me when I offended you. I forgive them. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can receive him right now by praying this very simple prayer. Would you pray this prayer with me? You can just say, Dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died on the cross for me. You forgave me of my sins, so please come in my heart, be my Lord, and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me. I put you in charge. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.